Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 779 of the Juicebox Podcast. On this episode of the Juice Box Podcast, I'll be speaking with Barbara. She's an adult living with type 1 diabetes, who I had on the show because of what she did for a living. I, of course, then almost exclusively didn't talk to her about that. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Are you sitting there right now thinking, yes, Scott, I am a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes? Or perhaps you're thinking, I am a U.S. resident and I'm the caregiver of someone with type 1. If these are things that you think about yourself, I need you to go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry, fill out the survey completely. That's what I need. That's it. Take you 10 minutes. If you're fast, take you nine minutes. If you're slow, I don't know, 12. I'm not with you. I don't know exactly how well you type. This is a quick survey, helps people with type 1 diabetes, nothing hard or confusing about it, won't take you long, supports people with type 1, might help you out, definitely helps me out. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1, and Touched by Type 1's Dancing for Diabetes show is coming up quickly. Head over right now to touchedbytype1.org to learn more about it, and buy yourself some tickets. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. You can learn more about the Contour Next One, and even buy it online at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Get the accurate blood glucose meter that my daughter uses at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. I'm set. I'm oh, hold on a go. second. Uh, Barbara, I'm going to start the recording now. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> so I'm sorry. So say that again. You're using a suitcase as a desk and. And a stepladder as a chair. So I'm I'm good and comfortable here. <laughs> and in, in, in your closet. In my closet. Yes. And earlier when we weren't recording. And I knew magically that there was no carpeting in your room. For a second, were you impressed? Uh, slightly, oh, slightly. Barbara, yeah. give, it, give it to me a little bit. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, I, can't. I mean, this isn't your first podcast, so <laughs> you've probably had guests on who have been um, in all kinds of wild situations. All right, I, I see you're not gonna let me have this. That's fine. We'll move forward. Let's see. Who am I? I am Barbara Westberg, as long as you spell it with two E's and no U's. Someone who understood that you were looking for people who have interesting careers, and I have had a multitude of those. Um, I graduated from Arizona State University with a degree that people have actually made fun of in comedy routines. Um, is it, is it and- an English degree? No, 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 no. I, uh, my degree from ASU is recreation and tourism management. Oh, I didn't know that was a degree. I didn't either. And then I met someone who gave me my campus tour 
And I was contemplating telecommunications management. And he told me what he did. And he was like, you got to do it. It's the greatest thing ever. And I did. And it was the greatest thing ever. Best advice ever. What, what, is um, it pre- what did it prepare you to do? Um, Pretty much anything. Uh, except for, you know, brain surgery, things like that, or be a diabetic educator, you know, life gave me those skills. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, but there's a lot of management involved in, um, recreation and tourism management. So anywhere where I push a mouse around, I've got this educational foundation. Um, and also I can, take a an event that is falling to pieces and somehow make the people who bought tickets to it not understand that everything is falling to pieces (laughs) (laughs) are you telling me you know how to shine up a turd barbara (laughs) i do i certainly do thank you for that that phrasing i'm going to add that to my resume put that right on your cv Barbara Westberg can shine up your turd. I'll tell you what, that might get you a lot of work, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not the industry I'm in, but. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you come out of college and like, what's your first job? Um, actually, uh, my first job in the industry was while I was still in school. I had an internship for, um, well, the way I decided that I wanted to be in events um, was I was volunteering at a fundraising event that my aunt had helped orchestrate. And I thought it was so much fun and so inspiring. And she said, you know, a lot of the people here are getting paid to do this. And my jaw dropped. What do you mean? Mm. I thought everybody here was a volunteer. Oh no, there are people who have to actually be responsible for things who actually work for nonprofit organizations and my whole life shifted. Okay. Um, and that's when I knew that I wanted to be a fundraiser and what I wanted to, the way I wanted to do that was through events. Um, so as a student, I had to have an internship and it was uh, with, you know, the, the rubber ducky races. No, but what, what is that? It, they dump a whole bunch of ducks into a body of water and the rubber duck that floats across the finish line first wins whatever the organization has come up with as a prize. Okay. Um, Who gets so, the rubber duckies back? That was my thought. <laughs> How do you get uh, them back at the end? There, You would have to read the manual. There's all kinds of ways, <laughs> but um, yeah, basically it's a bunch of, floating devices that make the ducks go into one lane and then they're scooped up and put in things like shopping carts to drain them. I'm sure every duck race has a different retrieval method, but, um, Barbara, I want to tell you right now that I would wear a t-shirt that said every duck race has a different retrieval method. (laughs) 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 Because I've never heard those words strung together before in my entire life. And see, this is what you missed out on by not majoring in recreation and tourism management when no, you went to school. I didn't even go to college, Barbara. <laughs> I missed out on everything. Uh, oh, I, well, there's still a shot. There's still a shot. Can you imagine if I oh, – I'm so old. I wouldn't uh, – oh, my. I uh, I graduated from high school, went home. My mom gave me a cake. 
I had to go to bed because the next morning I started my job. And I wow. worked, I worked in a sheet metal shop making $5 and 50 cents an hour at that time. So, um, yeah, there was no, there was no, uh, I did not grow up in a way where higher education was something that anybody thought of. It was, uh, it was, it's just not, it was not my family, but so, so wait a minute. So you have type one diabetes. When were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed in 1976. Wow. I was five in 1976. How old were you? Six. Oh, look at us. Same. Yes, I'm one of those dinosaurs. You know, the back in my day, there was no way to test your blood sugar. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do? I said, wait, hold on a second. 76. Is that like 45 years ago? Mm-hmm. Wow. That made me feel bad about myself. Give me a second to, <laughs> to let me breathe through that. I just found out yesterday I have to have knee surgery. So I was, I'm like, well, that sounds like a thing that happens to old people. I um uh, so wow uh I mean what was what's your early I don't want to jump around too much but I'm I'm going to what was management like 45 years ago um 45 years ago my mother was a registered nurse and was told that diabetes only uh especially type one only ran in families. So there was something wrong with me that was not diabetes. Um, And finally she carried me into our family physician's office and he said, drive her to the hospital. Don't wait for an ambulance and actually died in the emergency room. And um, it was something that was incredibly stressful because every time my mother would share this news, I remember hearing, oh, she must have got that from the other side of the family. Well, no, I I actually didn't meet another diabetic until I was in high school. Mm. Um, didn't know anyone who had it, uh, was lucky enough to have a trained medical professional as a mother um, but she was completely unprepared to for having a, a child diagnosed with type one. Sure. Um, and I was hospitalized. I think it was maybe five days, and um, I fully expected to leave the hospital and leave all of these injections and things behind me. However, the injections followed me because that was the way we managed. One shot a day. There were two different types of insulin. They were, I believe they were pork derived insulin that she mixed together in one syringe. And, um, I needed to urinate into a cup and use an eyedropper to put drops on this little, like, looked like a, a Pez or something Mm -hmm. like a little piece of candy, but drop that into a, a glass test tube and then put drops of urine on top of that and see what color it turned, which basically was telling me um, nothing useful. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, then you got all that information and did nothing with it, right? Yep. Didn't change anything. So we were given a diabetic diet that we probably adhered to for about 15 minutes and then 
two working parents with two kids and yeah, it just management was inject your child with insulin in the morning, cross your fingers and hope. Yeah. But, um, but can I ask you, are you, do you have any weird like complications or how are you doing? Um, I, I actually met a, a diabetic researcher who said, I don't mean this to sound weird, but I would love to study your body after you die. You're incredibly healthy. What's your secret? And I was actually honored by that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I do have some diabetic retinopathy uh, that actually came on during my pregnancy. Um, but aside from that, I'm super healthy. That's crazy. Do you find that now looking like understanding? I don't even know how you manage right now. We'll get to it. But understanding how management exists now, looking backwards, are you amazed by that? Oh, I don't know how I lived through my teenage years that rebelling the even as a small child, like the the rebellion in me is strong (laughs) (laughs) and doing things like um, sneaking Halloween candy. So, oh, so. You know, as a, a child in the 70s, basically one of the other things they told us was just stop eating sugar altogether. Okay. You know, the the thought of eating a cup of rice was no problem. But having one piece of hard candy, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so we've come so far. Um, and yeah. Uh, Barbara, I, I wonder if you're like me. When I hear that story, just that simple story, I think there's no way that people didn't understand carbohydrates and that they would be broken down in your body and stored as glucose. Like, right, that had to have been a thing we understood in the 70s. So when I hear stuff like that, what I always think of is that how, as a as a society, how uninformed we are about things. Because somebody knew that. That was not an unknowable fact that rice would turn into glucose when you ate it, right? Like, so... How how do we put people, I, I don't know why I'm asking you this, but I'm always fascinated about why we put people who are unprepared for their job into that job. And I don't know if I'm making sense. I'm let down by people very often, and these are the kinds of stories that make it really bubble up inside of me. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I know you just, yeah, you just made me feel like, why can't this be understood and universally um, like it shouldn't take more than five minutes for everybody to get that, I guess. I don't know. It's, it seems insane to me. And for me, what this really brings to light is that every diabetic is responsible for their own care. Um, or to have a great team of, of parents or caregivers, um, and doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals, there's a lot to know. <laughs> and um, you're in your what number episode of this podcast? And I'm sure you learn something new or have a different take every time you talk to someone new on your podcast. That's true. Yeah. It's a lifetime of learning when it comes to diabetes. And I'm I'm still getting it wrong sometimes. Yeah. And the thought that someone who, like, I never saw an endocrinologist until I was in my teens. So my family doctor is supposed to know how to 
manage diabetes, that was an unrealistic expectation. Right. No, I agree with you. I, I know. And I, like, intellectually, I understand. But I, I don't know. Just, I, I'm thinking of a little girl, like, horking down rice like it's nothing. And then somebody's like, would you like a root beer barrel? And someone flies across from goes, Barbara cannot have a root beer barrel, <laughs> you know, or whatever. By the way, that was my favorite candy growing up. <laughs> oh, yeah. To have a birthday party where we ate pizza and then the cake, there'd be candles on the cake and I'd blow out the candles and then everyone else ate the cake and I didn't. Right. But you had three like, slices of pizza, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, most of what I remember from the 70s, the mid-70s, is the bicentennial and gas lines. Those are two, like, enduring images in my head of the mid-70s. I don't know, yes. why, I don't know why that is. Um, I don't know. I'm, maybe my life was super boring. Was that Could that have been the only thing that happened in 76? Is that, oh, I don't know. All right. I'm, this whole thing's making me feel very old. I need to move on from your early life. <laughs> <laughs> um, we need to move on from your early life. So when does, I mean, are you using, you're using beef and pork at that point, right? Insulin? Right. Yeah. How long did you exactly. do that for? Do you know? Uh, probably. No, I actually, I don't know. Like my mom been. was responsible for filling the prescriptions, but I know that when I attempted to donate blood, they said, oh, no, thank you. Uh, yeah, because of that, right? Yeah, because of the... Actually, I think it's the beef insulin that I took. So um, I can never give blood, which is a interesting side effect of being a diabetic from the 70s. Well, I just talked to somebody today because today, I, like I I'm doubling up my episodes trying to make up for my, my foolhardiness of going away for a week. Um, and 25 years ago diagnosed. So 25 years ago, it's, nine, it's 2022... That's only like 97, maybe. And they used beef and pork for a little bit. You might have used it for a long time, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I I moved when I was 18 and, and was introduced to my very first endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the pivotal point. So that would have been 1988 is when I probably switched to a, a lab created insulin. Yeah. I was going to say like mid, mid eighties was probably, wow. I did that more than a decade likely. Um, and then you were just using cloudy and like regular and MPH, right? Right. Yeah. And then you probably did that for another decade. Oh yeah. Okay. And then they said, they suggested multiple daily injections. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's not how I I've roll. lived this far. I'm fine. There's no way. Oh, the one thing you should know about me is I am a diabetic who has a wild fear of needles and blood. Andy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, the thought of me injecting insulin into myself twice a day, it didn't matter. You could not talk me into that. Okay. Until um, I was responsible for another life that was growing inside me and knew it was time to take responsibility and, and do the things that they were telling me to do. Well, I'm trying to paint a picture between, I mean, the, the tight management that we use now versus I'm just going to inject some of this. I mean, you were probably only doing it once a day at some points, right? Maybe twice. Yes. Yeah. 
So, you know, and you're so like, I don't know, though, like, do you think if we went and got found 100 people who were diagnosed the year you were that we wouldn't be hearing like all these great health outcomes? Like, could it be that you're just randomly lucky? Um, I actually have a, a network of diabetics that I talk to, and many of them are my age or, or older. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. There are a lot of us who are doing very well considering what we've put ourselves through. Um, so I, I wonder, of course, I'm not a research scientist, but I wonder if it's kind of like when you quit smoking, like you can undo some of the damage that you were doing and recover in some ways. Um, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's I, miraculous. Yeah. It's absolutely miraculous. I should not be alive. <laughs> I really shouldn't. Tell, tell um, me, tell me something that happened in your life that makes you feel like that should have got me that day. Um, that should have got me that day. I was in Las Vegas. So a lot of, a lot of walking, a lot of food I was unfamiliar with sitting at a table and I felt a little woozy and I walked away and tested my blood sugar and it was 33. Mm. And if you've ever been in a casino in Las Vegas, there's nothing close by you. You're surrounded by gambling options but the idea of me then trekking back to my room, because for some reason I didn't have candy on me. Um, yes, I should not have lived through that. Being 33, <laughs> my blood sugar at 33 in Las Vegas. I don't know how I was upright. Yeah. Ironically, you had a big bag of rice in your purse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you actually um, felt poorly tested your blood sugar and then went and then trekked back to another building to help yourself yes yeah because you know your mind is is thinking so clearly at that point (laughs) you're Um, omni focused and not paying attention like to big picture stuff because you can't because you're so low and you're just thinking like get to candy get to sugar get the food do that right and somehow passing you know every restaurant and bar on the way to it (laughs) places that have things like juice and uh, yeah wow that's crazy also i i I can't believe i skipped over this but i'm sorry your mom took you from the doctor to the hospital when you were diagnosed and you died in the hospital when you have diabetes and use insulin low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it Givoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to givoglucagon.com forward slash juice box. shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit givoglucagon.com slash risk. Hey, do you know what your test strips really cost you? Like, you know, probably goes through your insurance, but what does that cost you? Do you know? You don't. I know you don't. 
It may be cheaper to buy the Contour Next One blood glucose meters test strips over the counter without a prescription. What, what, what? How could that possibly be true? Well, I don't know, but you should go find out at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Head over there now, do a little bit of reading, click on the buy now link. It's orange. You'll be able to see it. From there, you'll be led to a number of different places where the Contour Next One is available to you right through the internet. CVS Pharmacy, Walgreens, Amazon, Walmart, Rite Aid, Target, Kroger, and this one that I'm being told is pronounced Meyer, even though it is spelled Meijer. Doesn't matter to me. I go with what I'm told. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. The Contour Next One blood glucose meter is accurate. It is easy to carry. It is easy to use. It has a bright light and a screen that will not leave you confused. Numbers are right there. They're nice and bright. I love this meter. Hand to wherever you hold your hand up to when you're swearing, because I'm doing that right now. Contour Next One blood glucose meter is by far the best blood glucose meter. I'm not making this up that I've ever used. I've used a number of them. This is my favorite. That's why they're advertisers. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Head over and get started today. I died in the emergency room. How, how does that happen? I don't know exactly. Um, I, I was so far gone. Like someone else would have been diagnosed much, much earlier than I, but her medical training taught her there was no way I was a diabetic. So they weren't looking for it. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing wrong with me. You know, they couldn't find anything wrong with me. And I'm, tired all the time. I started wetting the bed again. I was ravenously hungry, but was losing weight. Uh, I was skin and bones. Um, and, uh, but just based off the belief that if, if you're, if you have diabetes, then your mom has it. That's basically how they thought. Right. And since your mom didn't have it, then you couldn't have it. And that was it. Um, or at least someone in the family. Okay. My mom was one of nine. One of them clearly would have had to have been a diabetic. You don't have odds like that. Or my grandmother was one of 13. Somebody so that was should have had diabetes. That was the yeah. conventional thinking back then. Yes. How about that? I wonder, do you know if any of those people had other autoimmune issues? Oh, yes, definitely. There's a lot of uh, hyper and hypothyroidism and... Um, Definitely. Any celiac? Uh, Would they even no, thought of it that way back then? Or was it just like grandma runs to the bathroom after dinner? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if they even paid attention to celiac in the 70s. That's a good question. It is, isn't it? I wonder if we could find yeah. that out. Um, I mean, I'm looking at this photo I pulled up of gas lines, and all I'm telling you is that cars are way better now than they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Some of them were so big and like, just unruly, just really large. You should see it. There's a Cadillac here that looks like a small boat. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, that's just very interesting to me. That I wonder, I wonder if that was like prevailing wisdom medically, or if it was just like a a thing that people thought. It's a, uh, I mean, because you hear it all the time, like, oh, it, it runs in families. I'm like, eh, it, it can. 
You know, it doesn't mean it has to, but they were willing to kill you over that belief, basically, you know? I um I have a medical book that my my in-laws are moving, so they're downsizing what they have. And this book is from I think it was maybe the sixties, like one of those home diagnosis things before uh WebMD even existed. So you can look up, you know, hives or whatever. Yeah. So first thing I do is look up diabetes clearly states it runs in families Hmm. it was it was being trained that way that's what they thought that makes sense so you just you were in dk like significantly yes yeah gotcha but do you remember does anybody ever talk about it how long were you in the hospital before you left i think it was five days um my mother has passed away so there's really no nobody has a clear focus on you know what she went through and yeah and what she did to to get me home so um but yes then arriving home even though they had set the expectation that i i would have injections i was not having that i'm not in the hospital i'm at home home is not where you get shots absolutely not this poor woman battled me. It it had to be a year or two that she would have to chase me around. I refused to uh, give myself injections. And finally, on my, I think it was my 11th birthday, she said, here it is. I've, we've trained you we've given you all the skills that you need you've practiced um you're gonna do it today or you're gonna die because i'm not chasing you around anymore <laughs> she had, had enough responsibility <laughs> she had absolutely had enough <laughs> yep <laughs> She's like that's that did you do it of course i did i'm, <laughs> I'm here talking to you now no i mean did you have to fight did she have to fight with you or just did you just kind of capitulate Oh, she just left me there. She left me there at the kitchen table with the insulin and the syringes and walked away. And I have no idea how long I was there, but eventually uh, Hmm. I gave myself insulin. Good for you. Well, it's not easy. Um, Not the first time for sure. And you really fought even as a little kid. You were uh, were principled. Yes, yes, (laughs) very much so. This is this is not what happens in your home. This happens in the hospital or the doctor's office. We don't do hospital yeah. stuff in the house, and we don't do house stuff in the hospital, and that's the rule, <laughs> damn it. Yes. And go ahead and try and make it fun and cool and sciencey that I get to take five drops of urine and put it on a, a little thing in a, a test tube. I was not having that either. And that like that was when I decided. Science is not for me. <laughs> your poor mom. I get to see your mom like, look, honey, it'll be fun. You're like, <laughs> she doesn't believe it when she's saying it, by the way. And, you know, and you're, you're like, it's not fun. Leave me alone. But it's something else. Um, that's a crazy story. So you say that um, you really turned to uh, a tighter idea of management when you were thinking of having a baby or when you found yourself pregnant? Which was it? Uh, when I found myself pregnant. Okay. I was like, oh. 
I, I'm responsible not just for what happens inside of me, but someone is residing inside me and depending on me entirely. So let's take the crash course in how to be a good diabetic. Did, did you have to be told that by a doctor or was it a realization you had on your own? It was a realization I had on my own. So something that you're aware of, but just never allowed yourself to deal with prior to that? Um, well, it was, there were n- no negative outcomes. You know, I was completely horribly mismanaged. My A1Cs were horrific but I got up every day. I did everything I needed to do. I went to school. I graduated with honors. I had a job. I, you know, drove a car. I had a life. Um, it didn't seem like I needed to do these crazy restrictive things. And in my head, actually managing my diabetes was crazy and restrictive. And then as you learn to manage your diabetes, it just opens up more and more freedom. Your ability to do more things, go more places, eat whatever I want, where I know there are some diabetics who still kind of uh, sway away from that. But once you figure it out, it's like, ooh, what else can I take on? Mm. This is a puzzle. What's next? Will I ever master pizza? (laughs) This is always my contention um, that it is once you understand, you know, once you have the tools and you, you know, have some concepts, it it's far easier to do a a good job than it is to not, you, you know, like it's so much effort. Well, I think it's so much like mental effort of feeling like you're failing all the time and constantly worried about what your A1C is going to be or what your blood sugar is right now. I just think it takes more time to do it in a way that's not beneficial than it does to do it in a way that is beneficial. But uh, having said that, if you don't have the tools, if you don't know the steps to take, that kind of presents a third prong to the problem. Um, And that one is that you're putting in all this massive amount of effort with no, no uh, positive feedback at the end. You're not, you're not reaching any, any kind of a, uh, a desired end to what you're doing. So it just feels like you're working, working, working really hard for no reason. Um, but you, but so how do you figure it out? Like how, what year is that, that you're, that you're pregnant? Uh, that was, um, so my daughter was born in 93, so I was pregnant in 92. And and what did it look like? Like getting the information you needed, like, where did it come from? Um, uh, my endocrinologist, okay. which was an interesting jumping through hoops. I had to be diagnosed as pregnant before I could like go to these prenatal visits with my endocrinologist. So learning to manage the health management system, the health insurance system was like, Oh, okay. Um, I know I'm pregnant, but I need to officially be diagnosed as pregnant. So in the interim between me knowing I was pregnant and me being allowed or yeah, being allowed to see a doctor and have it covered. Mm -hmm. I took a ride in an ambulance because in the first trimester, my uh, insulin sensitivity skyrocketed. So I was giving myself these wild shots and my body was 
very sensitive to these large injections that I had been taking to cover um, what I was used to. And so then after taking a ride in an ambulance and um, being hospitalized for a short time, they finally figured out that I am, I was a type one diabetic who was also pregnant. Who was definitely pregnant. (laughs) So are you saying that in the beginning of the pregnancy, you were using more insulin and then at some point, maybe that fluctuation of hormones like died down for a little bit. And then suddenly the amount you were taking was too much. Was that this, is that how that went? Yes. And I don't know if this is still true, but when I was, um, When I was pregnant, they told me your first trimester, you're going to be sensitive to insulin. Your second trimester, pretty average. And then your third trimester, you're going to be wildly resistant to insulin. And um, turned out to be true in my case. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was so. It sucks. But I mean, at least you, I mean, you figured it out, right? Baby was born well and all that stuff. Yep. Um, Short time in the NICU, but then. Uh, knock on wood, has not seen the inside of a hospital since. Wow, that's excellent. Good for her. And that's uh, she. How old is that kid now? Twenty nine. Wow. I'm sorry, I made you say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it it is kind of shocking. Yeah. No, I know. I you're like an adult. Does, does she have her own kids? No, not yet. Oh, at least that'll keep you from feeling old for a little while longer. <laughs> Yeah, that part is my kids. My oldest is 22 and it doesn't strike you yet. I'm thinking the age is going to be like 25. When I say that, I'm going to think, oh, oh, God, like I need a rocking chair if he's 25, you know. Um, So, okay, so you you got that figured out for the pregnancy, but did it stick with you after the pregnancy? Like, did you like turn a corner, so to speak? Mm. A little bit, multiple daily injections, but my monitoring of my insulin, like doing my blood sugar, I thought, oh, I only need to do that if I don't feel well, mm-hmm. which is so wildly untrue because as you become adjusted to a higher blood sugar, you feel fine or, well, that's an interesting thing to claim because I don't know what fine is. I haven't been fine. Um, so what fine would, what a non-diabetic person would feel like versus what I wake up in the morning and feel like, I have no concept if, if they're the same thing because I haven't lived in a non-diabetic body in so many years. Yeah. But it wasn't something where I was like, oh yeah, this is diabetes related. If there was something that I'm like, oh, I feel like I have lead in my veins and I am struggling getting out of bed in the morning, I would think, oh, is that that you haven't slept a full night since your child was born? Or is that actually your blood sugar's high? And I would test my blood sugar and correct then. Hmm. But um, so you had to feel almost crippled to pay attention to your blood sugar. Yes. Yeah. And and then I met a diabetic mentor. That that was the turning point. How does that happen? Um, she was a coworker, and she took me by the hand and said, "What are you doing?" Um, I used to. We went to lunch, and she knew I was type one. We had bonded on that, 
And I got up to go hide in the bathroom and test my blood sugar and give myself an injection. And she said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What are you doing? And I had the first, like, honest interaction in a restaurant with another diabetic where she said, look, if the waitress has a problem with needles, that's her problem. My problem is I'm a type 1 diabetic and I need to eat lunch. I need to test my blood sugar and give myself an injection. And I have no apologies. And my hair blew back and rainbows and birds were singing. And this was the exact person I needed to walk into my life to show me that the the hiding. So when I was diagnosed, one of the things I was coached on was keeping this hidden. It's a secret. You could be discriminated against. You could, like in a job interview, you would never reveal this because clearly they're not going to hire you. You keep this hidden. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, don't tell people is how I was raised. And then I, I meet this person who is completely open. Yeah. And um, that's what shifted. Do you it's think hundred percent was shifted? Do you think I'm not I'm not apologizing for this, but I'm trying to find out if you think was that accurate though? I mean, as far as getting a job and not being discriminated against, was it smart to to hide it in that regard? Or do you think it well, was uh it was a like a monster that didn't really exist, it's just something people said? Um I'm not clear, but I do know that the job that I have today. During my interview, we talked about it, and my boss's daughter is uh, also has type one. Might have gotten and, you the job then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so having having the openness, I think, brings you what you need. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're not open about what you need and uh, where you are in your life. You know, people talk about you show up at an interview pretending to be something you're not, and then you you think you have this horrible job. Well, they hired somebody you weren't. If you're not authentically you at your interview, they're hiring somebody that wasn't right for the job. Correct. Yeah. Um. So now I'm authentically me, to the point where I have a, a diabetes tattoo on my wrist that, you know, it's it's out there. Yeah. I do not hide it. I want to be clear. I I don't think hiding is a good idea. And I would moreover say that if you can't get a job because you have diabetes and that's not a job you want to begin with, just like I would say, you know, if you are dating a person who doesn't want to be with you because you have type one, then that's not the right person to be with either. I was just wondering if like contextually at that time in the world, if it was a, if it was a legitimate concern that you could, Uh, you know what I mean? Probably. I mean, it probably was. I'm being honest. Where did the Americans with Disabilities Act come into play? I don't know, but when do when did people start paying attention to it and and believing that they could be you know pressured over it? You know what I mean? Like that just let's see, Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, I think it's called the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, or the ADA, is a civil rights law that prohibits discrimination based on disability. Uh, July 26, 1990. It was effective. Oh, and there you have another thing. Like the, you know, my 
my parents tried to empower me and say things like you're not disabled. And then they called it the Americans with Disabilities Act. And you're like, I'm not. But by by the way, if you watch online, that's a that's a, a sensitive argument. You know, am I disabled if I have diabetes? And I think the most reasonable answer I've ever heard is, listen, there are rules and laws that protect you if you have diabetes. Just because they use the word disabled doesn't mean you need to think of yourself as disabled, but you should take advantage of the opportunities uh, and protection if you need it. Um, exactly. But, yeah. But I do get that not wanting to – there's no way my daughter thinks of herself as disabled. And at the same time, she obviously is. You know what I mean? Like she takes insulin. If she has too much of it, she gets low. If she gets too low, she can't take care of herself. Um, I mean, that's – I mean, letter of the law, that's that's a disability. You agree? Yes. Yeah, 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 right? But it, So I think it's two different thoughts. I think it's a – I think it's a legal distinction – or a, and it's a but it's also a way that people think of themselves. I think you can I think you can agree with the legal distinction without thinking of yourself as disabled. That that's my thought, but I don't I you know, I don't have diabetes, so I'm not the right one to to think that one through, I don't think. And I never went to school and had a meeting and uh, it, it it just you didn't have a five hundred four plan. Five hundred four plan, yes. <laughs> Never had one of those. Yeah. Not not once. So um, so if if you were a child and you ran into something that was made more difficult by diabetes, then what did you do? If if you weren't able to just raise your hand and go, "Ooh, I don't know if you remember, but I have a document that says you need to give me thirty more minutes to take this test." Like how did how was it handled before things like that existed? I either raised my hand and said, I need to go to the nurse. And if my blood sugar was low, we had juice boxes there. Mm-hmm. Um, or I didn't. There there was, you know, um, Just me needing to go to the nurse for low blood sugar was the same as somebody else needing to go to the nurse because they had a stomach bug and or a fever. Yeah. So an illness you had an, in their mind, you had an illness and that was that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, uh, I know there's a lot of sayings, right? Pressure makes diamonds, stuff like that. Um, there's an argument to be made that um, the world's not fair and you have to learn how to live in it. Um, and, and there's an argument to be made that you you shouldn't be able to just, you know, discriminate against people because they have issues that other people don't have. I, I mean, I, I, I agree with the whole spectrum of that conversation, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I don't think there has to be a, I don't think you have to pick a side on that one, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, Agreed. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, all right. So, wait. So, your your job out of your event planners, you, you did event planning, right? When you were first, like, in college with that, um, that internship yeah, yes. and then everything like that. And then you moved it towards... Like charitable, like, do you still work in the in the not for profit space? Uh, not any longer. But uh, while I was getting my degree, I had to write a paper about an event, and the event that I was paired up with was an outdoor music festival. And um, as a student, you know, I've got my all my 
thought process in line of what I'm going to do and say and write the paper. And I show up at this outdoor music festival and I love music. And I, I was just so thrilled to be there. So happy. Mm-hmm. And then it started to rain and then it started to rain more. And this outdoor music festival was canceled. And uh, I learned more about planning an outdoor event based on this poor organization who had like their whole business on the line to pull this off. And so at the end of it, um, I volunteered to go back to the office and help them answer the phones as they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with this festival that is literally falling apart with every additional raindrop. And like, this is a great learning experience. I'm more than happy to answer the phones. And I wrote the paper and after I wrote it, I thought, Hey, I should send it to them with a thank you note. And I sent them the paper and didn't hear from them. Didn't hear anything. And then another event came up that was in conflict with a annual event that they were responsible for and they needed more staff. So they called me up and I thought, this is great. I'm padding my resume. When I get out of school, I'm going to have all of this to to put on my resume. Yeah. And uh, they had me sit down and fill out tax paperwork because they were paying me. I'm sorry, you're paying me? <laughs> I was going to volunteer. Um So I became what was affectionately referred to as a weekend warrior when they had, uh, they had events, they, you know, they had a a small core staff of people that worked in the office planning these festivals. And then they would bring the weekend warriors to, you know, round out the staff during major outdoor music festivals. So Mm -hmm. I've worked the, Fiesta Bowl block party. I've worked uh, a now defunct music festival called the Tempe Music Festival. I've worked uh, OCC, Orange County Choppers. They did a a festival in the Tempe area of Arizona. Um, I was the very first female quadrant manager for the rock and roll marathon series where I was responsible for an entire section of the marathon, um, managing the, the stages and sound and lighting and all of that. Uh, and this came out of me needing to write a paper. Hmm. And in addition to that, I was working for a nonprofit organization. Ooh, sorry. If you can hear the dog in the background, um, I'm saying, are you being attacked? (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, so the dog's uh, like ladies in the closet with a with a, a ladder. Something must be wrong. <laughs> You're fine. Um, so uh, I'll try and talk over. So my day job was raising money for a nonprofit organization through events. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've planned marathon training programs and here let me see if i can actually convince her that we're not under attack <laughs> you're okay it's okay sorry about that no you're fine dogs are gonna dog no i mean it's our fault we put you in a closet so <laughs> there's, there's no way she's not like this isn't what happens usually um 
She must think something's going on. Or she's got to take a poo and she's just like, lady, listen, I'm going to do it on the floor if you don't come talk to me right now. <laughs> um, unfortunately, our landscapers are here. So oh, we are in full dog emergency mode. Yo, oh, my God. Uh, gutter cleaning at my house. My dogs just run from window to window, barking the entire time the gutters are being cleaned. Uh, they won't stop. They just... I don't know. Something about the water splashing around in those little tin gutters or whatever they're made of. It makes them crazy. Uh, anyway. Uh, so let me, let me, I'm trying to like wrap my head around like all of what you've done in your life. Like, so you, do you end up just moving kind of from org to org or do you stay with a place for a very long time or are you kind of like a hired gun? How does that all work? Um. So I am a, independent contractor for these outdoor music festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I've always had a day job. I got it. There were a couple of times where, you know, I had some space between jobs, but I've worked for um, two nonprofit organizations. And now I, I picked, I picked up and moved across country right before the pandemic and um, found a job that is absolutely fantastic, but I still plan events in this job. It's interesting. I'm a, a marketing and business development director for a mortgage company, and I'm planning an event for our clients, a client appreciation event. Mm. So even those skills that I learned uh, back in my days at ASU and, um, but I was, I worked as a contractor for this organization that did these outdoor music festivals, uh, gosh, probably 15 years. Wow. They, they called me recently. They were doing something here in Texas and it was kind of at the height of the pandemic. So I, I said, no, thank you. But, um, Love that they still thought of you. Think of me. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was contacted once by a person who said um, that they wanted to put on an event where I was the speaker. And they had all these big ideas. And it was, I mean, it was a little overwhelming, all the stuff that they thought they were going to do. And I kept saying, like, I, I don't think I can attract that many people to an in person event. And they were like, no, you can, you can. And I was like, I, I was like, I felt like I was being talked into something. You know what I mean? And I just thought, like, I finally I said, okay, well, you know, if you think we can get enough people together that it'll pay for itself, you, you know, I don't want anybody to, like, I don't want anybody to work for free. I don't want, you know, that kind of thing. And then I, it became obvious that the person was like, look, like, this isn't totally out of the kindness of my heart. Like, I'll plan the event, but this is how much we're charging, and I'm taking a piece of it. And I thought, even like, I was like, well, that's fair that they, you know, all that is obviously fair. But then the number they came up with was like shocking to me. And the the conversation started going like, I think people would pay this much. And then I said, no, I'm not doing this. I, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, you're not taking in my name. You're not taking hundreds of dollars from people to come to a thing. Um, and it was interesting how they, they put it. I'm not saying this is you. I'm just saying like, it's, it's making me remember this whole like thing. They're like, well, if we charge this much and this many people come, here's how much money you're going to get. And I'm like, I don't care. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I, I, I left the situation disappointed because I thought the idea was solid. 
Um, but I was not comfortable with people having to spend so much money to do something like that. Um, anyway, it's, uh, I think this is a, I think this podcast is a much better way of reaching people to be perfectly honest. Um, but I mean, I would do it. You know what I mean? Like I, I can see where it would be fun. Like I'm trying to imagine myself and there's all these people that have been on the show that could come and speak as well. And I think it would be cool and I think it would be helpful. Uh, and I would love to gather up a bunch of people with diabetes and let them all be in one place and meet each other. That I think is, that I think would be amazing. Um, but you know, I don't know. It, it, it seemed like a lot of money to me. So anyway, um, uh, yes, I definitely, the value of being in the community, uh, that was the, the difference for me between this is a secret. It's important that you don't tell people you'll be discriminated against and actually seeing people in the diabetes community being open about it and being helpful and being you know, it's it's hard to talk to somebody about how do you manage your diabetes when you're not saying the word diabetes and you're pretending you don't have it. Yeah. No, I would love – I mean, the, as you were talking earlier about, like, a music festival, I thought, how cool would it be to just have, a like, a thing where just people with diabetes showed up and, like, nobody else? You, you, you know what you, I mean? Like, you, you had to You know have, this, this exists. Yeah, well, Do you I, know them? I imagine there's yeah, like I know Connected in Motion does like a camping thing, and I know there uh-huh. are places that do stuff like that. But even at that, like, and I'm I shouldn't have brought up somebody by name because now I'm going to say something that sounds reductive, and I don't mean it that way. But like, I don't mean like a couple hundred people. Like, I mean like I don't know, like something massive. You, you know what I mean? Um, in, in my mind, like things aren't worth doing until they're like so many people like even the podcast like if i didn't reach that many people by now i'd kind of feel like a failure i'd be like oh, i'm not gonna do it uh but it, it's that it reaches so many people that makes it seem it, it i don't know it's how it's how the value the scope of it is part of the value that i think about um because i know i mean you you're a marketer you know too like the the rule of tens is is so incredibly real. You have to say something to somebody 10 times before you can get one person to blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, so I always think about like, if I'm going to help somebody, um, if I'm going to help somebody live a healthier, happier life, I have to reach this many people to help this many people. Um, and I don't know why that that's how it always strikes me, but no, I know there are events and I know people love them. Like I, I, I do, I'm not, and I'm not minimizing any of them. I just like if I do it, I, I want it to be like, I don't know, I want it to be like a Rolling Stones concert in the 80s, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the greatest thing about your podcast is that even the offshoots of it, the Facebook page and the comments and things like that, it when I first kind of started tiptoeing into the online existence of diabetes, it was all darkness and and anger and uh, mismanagement and it, there's it's just so bright and empowering and then to see other people say well I did this and I did that and none of it is you know nobody's ever showing up to say this was the worst day of my life as a diabetic. And you're probably, as a newly diagnosed diabetic, going to have all these horrible days. Mm. It, it's more of a, 
you can have a great life. And here, here are the practical tips on how. Um, and it's, you have a, a joy around what you're doing. And, um, and I appreciate the passion and, and your giving of this information to all of us out here who just, you know, eat it up. I just like, I, well, thank you. First of all, I, I think all I really do is I apply my attitude to everything. So, um, I, I, you know, I hope I'm never in a terrible situation like this, but I think if I, if I had a car crash and I was upside down in the weeds, I'd be joking about it while I was hanging there waiting for somebody to come get me out. I'd be like, well, I've definitely screwed this up. And I just, I don't know a way to, um, I don't see the value in, in, uh, I was going to say, woe is me, but that seems like, I don't mean that. I, I just mean like, I, I think what I mean is that good things happen and bad things happen. And I don't change who I am depending on what's going on around me. So I just keep being me. And then I think that over time, that's, that's kind of permeated the podcast and then when you collect people together, like as, you know, using that Facebook group as an example, suddenly you have 22,000 people there who are all sort of um, reasonably like-minded about attitude, or they see it and they want to be part of it. They, they look and they go, you know what, I would like to be happy and I'd like to be able to joke around in a bad situation and not feel the way I feel right now. And in that way, I think it, it can look like, I think this podcast and the, and the community around it can look like hope. And um, something to kind of strive towards. And I don't know, like, as you were talking, I thought, like, what if we could get, like, five, ten thousand 10,000 people on a fairground and just get up on a stage and bring people up all day long and talk to them, y you know, just over and over again, just new people, bring them up, let them see each other, um, let them be in a place where everyone has diabetes and it's not weird and everybody's injecting at dinner and nobody thinks twice about it and where... Like, I think if you could pull enough people together, because what is normalcy, right? Like normalcy is just the, it's the, it's, it's most people doing a similar thing. And so if you brought together 10,000 people with type one diabetes, then type one diabetes is normal. And then you could go back into your own life and not worry about it when you don't see it around you all the time. I, I do think kind of like virtually that is what this podcast is a little bit too. Um, but it, I think it's a lot of things. I don't even know that I'm the best person to tell you what this podcast is, uh, which is kind of odd. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you've got things categorized so that you can kind of find your way through because there's a lot of content out there. It got too big. Yeah. I had to do something. It was because my answer just listened to the podcast that that started not being so, you know, so possible at, you know, episode 250 and 300. And even the other night I was um, buttoning up an episode that'll go up soon. And, you know, I, I mean, I start every podcast the same way for years. I'm like, hello, friends, and welcome to episode. And I did that the other night. And I said, hello, friends, and welcome to episode. And I tripped over my words. I was like 650. Like, I was like, wow, is there that many of them? <laughs> you know, like, it, it took me by surprise. Um, and, and so I, you know, thinking about that, when people are coming in from the outside, I know they're going to see those numbers and think, well, I don't know where to start. And so at some point, you know, 
we had to give them some idea of where to start. And to be perfectly honest, had a, a lovely woman named Isabel not contacted me once and said, do you want help with this? Like, I would still be trying to do it on my own. And she's like, you know, these, she's like, these episodes go together and these go together and these go together. And I was like, this is what I need. I need a woman. <laughs> I need somebody with some organizational skills to, um, to look at it. And, and not only organizational skills, Barbara, but, um, I'm so busy making the podcast. Like, I don't even know what it is sometimes. Like, like there are times when people ask, like the other day, someone said online, has anyone been on who has Lada? And in my mind, I thought, yeah, probably like a dozen people. But if you, under penalty of death, I couldn't have come up with which episode they were in. Like, I did not, I cannot, I'm the worst person to tell you about the podcast. I can make it. I just, I can't keep track of it. Um, I, I hope one day that it gets big enough that I can put at least a tiny organization around it because I do think it would help it grow more uh, if there were some more people facilitating even little things like social media posts or understanding that episode 640 whatever has, you know, someone in it with Lada. I, I don't know. Like that, that maybe will never happen. But if you dropped a million dollars on me, I would definitely hire a couple of people. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. So this thing helps you. When did you find it? Um, probably it was definitely during the pandemic. Mm. What made you so, move during the pandemic? Were you moving towards freedom? You said, I heard you hear say Texas. Were you like, I don't want to be locked up or what, what made you move? Oh, um, my husband and I met and married in Dallas and then moved to Phoenix. And that's where I went to school. Oh, so you just and going then, home a little bit. Uh, well, we, when we were in our twenties, the one thing we agreed on was Austin, Texas is the greatest place on earth. And it didn't seem like a practical thing for us to move there. And so we agreed we would retire to Austin one day. Mm -hmm. And then after my mom passed away, um, I kind of, I didn't have my mom around the corner. So I was like, huh. I'm living here in Phoenix. I, I have a great life, but what I really want to do is retire to Austin. Maybe I should just move there and set myself up for success so that when I retire, I'm already living there. Yeah. Like, why would you put what you want most in your life on hold until you retire? Yeah. I think about that uh, when I'm saving money for my kids all the time. I always have that feeling in the back of my head. Like my wife and I are really hard workers and we don't do much with whatever we have. We, we make a pile, you know what I mean? We try to keep it, keep it, keep it. Because I think in our hearts, we're like, like, even though this feels incredibly, I, I don't imagine this would happen is what I'm saying. But what if Arden ends up being like a near to well? And like, I want to be able to leave like, like finances for to manage her diabetes with. And then once you have that thought, you think, but I also have another child. Like, how could I leave money to one kid and not to the other kid? And so then my life becomes this, like, pursuit of making a pile as big as I can to give to my children. And always in the back of your head, you're like, well, when we retire, when we get this done, then we'll do this. And I realize what's going to happen is I'm going to get so old, it's not going to matter to me anymore. And I'm not going to want to do those things. And then my whole life was me building an anthill to give to somebody else. And so I'm trying really hard to be more like you. Um, and I'm very 
very impressed that you did that. How old are you when you did that? Um, I was 49. Yeah. Good for you. That That's excellent. Um, and then had a complete career change and then the pandemic hit and yeah, it was like, Oh, wonderful. I'm in the city of my dreams and not leaving my house. <laughs> I'm not the- making any friends. I'm not meeting new people. I'm not going to concerts and, you know, the greatest musical city in America. I'm just sitting at home listening to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least it's my also, would it have helped you to know while you were listening to my podcast that if I ever go to a live musical event again, the first one I want to go to is Gary Clark Jr. And I know he, he lives in Austin. So that's what made me think to say that to you. Um, That would be the, that'd be the, that would be my dream if I, if the next time I go to see live music. So, um, well, there you go. Now we have the location for your event. I can come, right. Come to it. And, and keynote speakers leading up to the Gary Clark jr. Uh, musical (laughs) cherry on top of the days of education. So you're saying that because you've made these things before and you're like, we could probably make that happen. And I, (laughs) <laughs> and I'm thinking that could never happen. I do. I do think though, um, like I wouldn't do it in a, in a classic way. Like if I had an event like that, I don't know that I wouldn't just keep bringing people up on stage and just keep talking. Like, like there's a part of me that realizes that some of the best episodes that Jenny and I make are when Jenny and I just start philosophizing about diabetes and even when we're not talking about something specific, when we just sort of like, it's almost like, it's not really like, it's not flight of fancy, but it's, it, you know, you you start a conversation, you see where it goes, you don't worry so much about what the perceived topic of it is, but almost like what ideas can we mine from this conversation? Like new ways can we think of to do things or examples that might click in people's heads? Like, I don't know, like in my mind, it would be like, I don't know. Like a like a live Oprah Winfrey, except I'd be Oprah, and then um, and I wouldn't give you anything, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and people would just keep talking and talking and and uh, enjoying it. So musical breaks would be nice, but I don't know. I think that I I I I guess that's actually what I'm doing with the podcast. If I'm being perfectly honest, it's just bringing people out, having conversations. I I got pitched somebody the other day, and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want this person who's been in the diabetes space for so long that everything they say sounds rehearsed and they know what they think. And you try to like, you try to go down a, another pathway and have a different conversation and they won't go with you because they're worried of who they're going to offend. Or, um, I, I would just rather, rather talk to you and, you know, other people who have diabetes to me, that makes more sense. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun. It's fun to hear real live people who might be your neighbor. Um, it's great to have people who are trained as well as people who are actually living it. Yeah. For me, one of the things that I, when I learned about the podcast, I was like, Oh, it's not for me. I don't have a kid with diabetes. And then I, I thought to myself, do you have any idea how ridiculous that sounds? (laughs) Of course it's for you. Um, so, uh, and honestly, I, I can't even imagine what it might be like for a parent of a newly diagnosed 
diabetic child, you know, when I was diagnosed, there wasn't much they could do. So, you know, you got sent home with a couple of guidelines Mm -hmm. and now you actually have choices and options and the pressure to research and find the right thing for that. It could be overwhelming. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, even if your warranty is up on your insulin pump and you're like, Oh, Oh, do I just go with what I know? Do I stick with that brand? Do I try something new? You could go down a rabbit hole for days before pulling a trigger and then still not being completely sure that you made the right choice. Right. No, I, I agree. It's um, it's a, a wealth of possibilities. But if you don't have somebody to like stand in front of you and go, look, here's this one and here's this one. Here's the differences, you know, which makes more sense to you. What do you care about more? OK, great. Well, then try this. And and now the companies are finally doing like um. Like they're doing free trials, which I don't know why they couldn't do that in the past, but I think that was more of a insurance thing or um, I'm not even sure like how it's gotten better. But I know Dexcom and Omnipod are both offering free trials now, um, which I think is amazing because I would like the comfort of trying it and saying, eh, it's not for me, you know, not the feeling of like I have to decide and then whether I like it or not, this is my insulin pump forever. You know, like, uh, that's not fair. It just is. Unless you have a million dollars and can just say, oh, not for me right now. I'll go buy this other one completely out of pocket. All whimsical, like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I I mean, most people can't do that. And even if they could, they shouldn't have to. You know, it's, uh, but it's interesting the way you put that. Like, when when you were diagnosed, there was one option. It was this. Do this, pee on that, that's diabetes. At least there was nothing to worry about. You knew you were doing the only thing that existed, right? Right, yeah. right. Wow. Um, I I know that you came on because you have an interesting uh, career, but uh, I know we didn't talk about it at all, but I don't care. <laughs> you, you, you listen to the podcast. You know I didn't care. Uh, so <laughs> Although I did recently, based off of that call for people with interesting careers, did a really cool episode that nobody's heard yet with a truck driver, which I thought was neat. Uh, a woman who was a backup singer for some pretty great bands years ago um, and a, a stripper. So it was smart to ask for people with different jobs. Um, but uh, I, I found your conversation interesting for a completely different reason. I appreciate you doing this. Is there anything that you wanted to say that we haven't talked about that I haven't gotten to? Um. Well, we definitely didn't talk about my career at all, but again, it's been so great talking with you. I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. Um, Yeah, just uh, I appreciate it. I want to make sure we didn't like leave anything out diabetes wise that that you wanted to bring up. Um, I I didn't even ask you a lot of things I normally ask people about your kids and if there's, you know, did, did there end up being autoimmune with your children? Nope. No. No. I am I am the lonely diabetic in <laughs> in my family. I used to joke that everybody else uh had to wear glasses. I got diabetes, but now you have to I wear, wear glasses, glasses too. <laughs> I have to go pick up my new reading glasses this afternoon, which by the way, I thought I lost, went and bought new ones and then found <laughs> which was Oh no. Which was Oh, but uh sorry totally no, no. i 
completely spaced that my sister had gestational diabetes. Okay. And she, um, she said, I don't know how you do this. Like she knew there was going to be an endpoint to her diabetes. Yeah. She's like, I don't, I don't know how you put up with this. Well, it's the alternative that's a problem, right? So yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yes, I, I would rather deal with this and deal with it well than to deal with the alternative. Right. No kidding. Hey, do you think that based on the years of how you grew up and knowing now how technology and insulin's changed and everything like that, if you woke up one day to a complication, would you be gobsmacked by it or do you think you'd be like oh well that makes sense um you know it's kind of like cancer it doesn't matter if you've got family history or not it it would be shocking yes yeah so um am i aware that there are things like i i'm always on top of my screenings you know even even my cancer screenings you know, I'm on top of that, and um, I don't think anybody's ever prepared for a diagnosis, mm. but um, it's it's so common that, that if you get out of this without some sort of diagnosis in your lifetime, um that would be more shocking than, oh, you, you've survived this or you've survived that, or you treat this or you treat that. Um, I don't want to add anything else to my list of diagnoses, but I feel as empowered as the next person in being able to handle it. And it might actually scare my healthcare providers more than me to have diabetes as a complication that goes along with it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, they, 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 even you, you're looking to them like you're the, the, um, the exception to the rule, right? Like it's just, cause it's going so incredibly well for you, honestly. One of my biggest fears was I would get COVID and be on a vent and nobody would know what the heck to do to manage my diabetes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that it definitely wouldn't go well. <laughs> it really wouldn't. It's management in hospitals is, is not, not stellar. They're more worried about your emergent problems than the, the diabetes takes a back seat for reasons that I don't completely understand. And, um, yeah. And then you could feel incapacitated that, that really did run through your head, huh? Oh, I was absolutely terrified, yeah. terrified. Well, that makes um, sense. but I, did not leave my house for a very long time. And my husband is a, a healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. So when he got home from work, he would strip in the garage, walk through the garage door into the guest bathroom and shower. And I would go nowhere near that bathroom and nowhere near his clothes. <laughs> Barbara, you've um, been married a long time. It's easier to get a guy naked than that. You know, you don't have to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I have been married a long time. Yeah. You, 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 you didn't have to trick him. <laughs> you would have, he would have done it if you just asked. <laughs> Actually, you know, some guys would just do it if you don't ask. So you have to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you were that worried about it. That's uh, I, I makes a hundred percent sense to me. 
I, I really, I'm assuming you're double and triple vaxxed. You got your booster, got a booster and all that stuff. I, I absolutely did. I drove two hours to get my first vaccine. Wow. Cause Pretty there weren't on. any available in, in the area that I was in. So I was committed to that. And I'm just now coming out from under my rock, crawling out from under it and going places and visiting family and, and hugging people and seeing concerts and yeah. also being, you know, cautious, but uh, no longer hyper cautious. Mm-hmm. Starting to feel a little better. Uh, yeah, a yeah. lot better. Good. Well, I'm glad. I just got back from Florida. I went to a baseball event where I was around a lot of people outside. We rented a house with some people. Um, and I mean, not that my anecdotal like story is evidence, but I got on a plane. Um, I went through an airport. I stayed in a house with 20 people. I watched a bunch of boys play baseball, you know, on a giant field where if I'm, if I'm counting right, there were six baseball fields. So there were people watching on all those fields, you know, et cetera, uh, back on another plane, nobody got sick. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that things keep trending in that direction, but it would be really nice because I don't want you or anybody else trapped in their house. Um, especially as you're trying to build, like, this is it, right? You're trying to build up a little bit and then, and then get yourself nice and retired and enjoy Austin and, you know, do your thing. So, yeah. Well, we should all knock on wood that this doesn't go back the other way. Because if, if they lock me in here one more time, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be like, uh oh, <laughs> I don't lose my mind. Um, I, I'm just starting to get like um, um, a rhythm to my life back again. You know what I mean? Like it got so weird where just 24 hours turned into another 24 hours. Didn't even matter what day it was anymore. And uh, something about that was not good. For, for certain, I'm starting to feel like this is the weekend. These are the weekdays, you know, these hours are when I work, these hours are when I don't like, I'm finally getting that, that kind of a delineation back again. And I think it's uh really necessary. So anyway, I, I turned 50 during the pandemic and, you know, had always envisioned a big trip. And I joke with my husband that for every month, past my 50th birthday the trip is just getting more and more Grand. ridiculously yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> he better be you better be saving money up right you're gonna go uh get, go hopping across europe and do something really amazing um all right well i really appreciate you doing this and taking the time i had a wonderful time speaking with you and uh i can't thank you enough for for telling me all this and, and sharing these things with me well thank you i i appreciate what you do Big fan. Oh, are you? Does that actually feel like that? Like that I'm a fan? No, that you just don't like. I I'm weirded out that we're just not two people talking. That you see me as like something other than just like a guy. Oh, like I've elevated you to celebrity status. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you most assuredly should not do that. Uh, the rest of my day. Uh, you would not want to be involved in is very boring. <laughs> so see, I'm just trying to get you to hire me to do this big juice box event. Well, Barbara, if there was money, <laughs> if there was money, I I think I would. I really do. I um, 
I, I'm I'm so stuck between the idea that you can't make something grand without money that I don't have the money to make something grand and that I would have to charge people to do it. Like there's, I, I'm stuck in that space. I don't know how to push myself beyond that. But maybe but, one day I'll figure it out. I don't know. And now that you've put this out there, I'm sure the answer will come back to you. It's possible. I've never said it out loud on here before, I don't think. Um, so there were people sending me plans and breakdowns of how it would go. And I was like, Oh, it seems like a lot. Um, I'm more comfortable just like, you know, jumping on zoom and talking to a few hundred people and being done. But you, you know what I'm saying though? Like, I mean, if you've been involved in these things, they start saying like, imagine if a thousand people came and they all paid $300, like that's how they start. And you're like, Oh, that sounds like $300,000, you know? And you think like, well, that would pay for the event. I could pay speakers and you know, people could make money and you know, that, that would be good. But then all in the back of my head, all it feels like is taking $300 from somebody to tell them to pre-bolus and let them have a conversation with other people with diabetes. And that seems wrong to me. So I don't know. We'll figure it out one day or not. Who knows? The podcast gets big enough. It won't even matter. Just keep doing it like that. Um, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G V O K E G L. U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. Don't forget to get yourself a Contour Next One blood glucose meter at contournext.com forward slash juice box. And of course, touchedbytype1.org is where you'll get those tickets to the upcoming Dancing for Diabetes show. Held in Orlando. Beautiful facility. Head over and take a look. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. If you're not listening in a podcast app or an audio app like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Music, you should head over to one of those apps right in your phone and check it out. It's a great way to listen to a podcast. Find the show, Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. Just hit subscribe or follow, depending on which app you're in.